0: Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. All right. Well, good morning. It is great to see you. I'm looking forward to our time together. If you have a Bible, take it to Psalms Fifty-one, And the last service, man, they were on top of it. Last service, everybody was holding up their Bibles and waving them at me because they wanted to make sure I knew that they got the message, that they're like, I brought my Bible, my Bible is here, or uh, maybe real quick, you're on the, uh, keeping it on the download, you got your phone down here, you're like, Apple iTunes, download Bible app now, you know, just telling Siri, I'm going to download the Bible app. But man, first service, we had tons of Bibles, and that was exciting because we we said we want to get close to God, but how can we do that if we aren't taking his book that he wrote for us and saying, hey, I want to get to know you better. Well, he wrote us a book to help us and that's called the Bible. And so we're uh, always opening God's Word. We want to not just open it on Sunday, but every day and get in God's Word. It's great that we put it up here on the screens. It's great that, uh, uh, that we may have it on notes, but man, when you get into the Bible, that's what changes everything. But we're glad you're here. Psalms 51 is where we're going to be at this morning. Uh, Christians today often will share with me or maybe they'll share with you or they'll share with others that they go through seasons where they feel discouraged. They'll go through seasons where they feel depressed. Where they feel depleted. Where their life feels dull. Where they find themselves fighting the funk. Where they just seem like they're trapped or stuck in a rut. And they don't often know what to do about it. And so this morning I want to bring a message that I hope will help that. If you felt like that or you're feeling like that. Maybe today's message might be exactly what you need. But to do so, I got to tell you a story about where I grew up in Fresno, California. My parents bought 10 acres of land and they bought an old farmhouse and that old farmhouse did not have central heating and air conditioning, which to live in Fresno, that is brutal. It's like, did your parents even love you as kids? No, they did not. <laughs> Just kidding if they are listening. I apologize. I'll be staying with them later on this week. So. Um, but uh, when growing up, my parents didn't have AC. There was a swamp cooler on the roof. And I was like, this swamp cooler does nothing. So my dad and I, we climbed up on the roof of the swamp cooler. There was the cooler. It was on. It was working. It even pushed out cool air. The problem was the vent that connected the swamp cooler to the house was missing the entire event. So cool air was just blowing out into the the, the ether of Fresno. We were cooling all of Fresno. It was pointless. We were like, how did we not figure this out when we got the home, that this is not connected? You're turning on, and there's no cool air whatsoever. So that's the summers. And so my parents have solved the issue. Instead of buying central AC, they said, we'll get an above-ground pool. So we just lived in that above-ground pool. That's that's how we survived growing up in Fresno. But then in the winter times, They had a uh, fireplace that my dad was like, we have heat, we got the fireplace. But the house was in the shape of a horseshoe, the living room's in the middle, and the fireplace in the middle. And there was two bedrooms on one end of the horseshoe, and two bedrooms on the other end of the horseshoe, which meant, unless you slept in the living room, you were cold all the time, because that was the only room that got heat. But it not only was... uh, uh, fireplace, but it wasn't one that you would heat with like propane or gas. No, this is the old school kind. You had to go get wood and you had to constantly keep this fire going with wood. And my dad was like, Hey, I got five boys. I got five little lumberjacks. That's what he looked at us like. And so my dad would collect wood all summer. It would dry out and then he put it in the yard and then it was up to us because he gave us a little axe and we would start chopping wood and at first that was actually a lot of fun chopping wood chopping wood is just kind of neat and and i even found out of the archives i found a video of me chopping wood can we play the video of, of me chopping wood yeah, or didn't see yeah. Where going I, I was buffered back then my teammates don't tell and there's my good looking brother robert well i guess you know yeah yeah. Whether well, you tell us is a bit of just, a. Just been, or what it form? Sometimes I wouldn't even use an axe, though. Yeah, just why, why use an axe? Go home. Sometimes just yeah. There you go. You know, just 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 found that out of the archives. Thought I would share that with you guys on this Sunday morning. But man, chopping wood—it was hard, hard work. And so we would go to town, just chopping wood, chopping wood. But after a while of chopping wood, it would get harder and harder and harder to chop the wood. I was like, what is going on? This axe is defective. And then my dad would come out because we were like uh, young when we were chopping wood. I mean, my dad didn't know there's probably an age limit to how young you should be chopping wood. And then we were just kind of weird kids. We didn't always wear shoes. So here we are and just chopping wood, no shoes, shorts on, you know, wintertime. We're just weird kids, you know, we're just running around and everything. And I look back today and I'm thinking, I was Austin's age when I had a big old axe and I was chopping wood with no shoes. I love my son Austin, but I would never hand him an ax and say, go chop wood. I don't know what my parents were thinking. And maybe they just thought, well, if we break this one, we'll go make another one. I don't know what they were thinking, but maybe that was on their mindset at the time. And so we would chop wood and my dad would say to us, hey, look, it it heats you twice. It heats you as you're cutting it. And then when you throw it in the fireplace, this is is great. But then my dad would notice as it would get harder because we put extra effort with less return then he came out and he'd say, hey, let me see the ax real quick. And then where once it was razor sharp on that edge, he'd run his fingers by it. And I'd be like, dad, what are you doing? You're touching that razor sharp edge. And he said, no, no, no. Because of all of the force from the ax, this ax is no longer sharp. It's dull. And maybe that's how your life feels. Dull. Where once work was easy, man. You were the best at your job. You were cutting through. You were me- meeting records and you were doing all kinds of stuff. Where now it just seems like, oh, work. Isn't it Friday? No, man, it's Monday morning. Friday is a long way off. You're just like, oh, great. Where once the marriage and relationships was just easy. You were thriving and vibing and it just seemed like this is awesome. Now you're just like, oh, that old guy, <laughs> that old lady, you've been married for six months, you know, and it's like, oh, feels longer. Where once was easy because things were sharp and it was easy, now there's dullness. Where once it seemed like you were excited about God, and once going to church, you couldn't wait to get there. Where once you couldn't wait to open the Bible and study God's Word, now it's like, oh, I haven't read my Bible in a long time. I haven't spent any time with God. And it just seems like so much effort where once raising the kids just seemed like, man, I'm so grateful for kids, and I'm excited about my kids. Next, you're like, if that kid gets on my last ever loving nerve, I'll be looking for an ax. I am tired of my kids. I just, where once you were sharp, now it's dull. Now it's hard. And what do you do when you're dealing with dullness? You know, God doesn't want you to be that way. He doesn't want you to feel that way. In John 10, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. When God says, I want you to have life, he's talking about Zoe life. He's talking about not just life. He wants life more abundantly, which means God wants you to have life that is sufficient in quantity, but superior in quality. That's what God wants for you. You see, sometimes we feel like if God's given something to him, then he doesn't have enough for me. Or if God's given something to her, he doesn't have enough left over for me. But that's not how it works with God's economy. God says, I can give you some, you some, you some, and you some, and you some. And guess what? I still got plenty for everybody else. God is saying the life that I have, it is sufficient in quantity and superior in quality. That's what God wants. But Satan wants to rob that from you. And that's why you might be feeling dull this morning because Satan satan has robbed that life from you because we're used to feel life now spiritually you feel dull and you feel like where's the edge gone and your life now lacks the life that you want Susanna Wesley raised two children. One was Charles Wesley. The other was uh, John Wesley. And they are the founders of the modern Methodist movement. And she wrote a quote that is really the impetus for this message. She said this to her sons, two sons, of which she had 19 children. Can you imagine? 19 children. And this is what she said. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off the relish for spiritual things, then it is a sin for you, however innocent it may be, In itself. What she's talking about? She's talking about dullness. She's talking about anything that can dull your desire for spiritual things. And sometimes our desire for spiritual things can dull. Just like our desire for our relationship can dull. Our desire to be around God can dull. God wants you to get that desire back this morning. He wants you to have that strong desire. He wants you to seek him and he wants you to enjoy him. He wants you to enjoy life and seek life. But how do we Deal with spiritual dullness. We're going to look at Psalms 50, Psalm chapter 51 because we're going to look at a man by the name of David. Because David is the man that sought after God's own heart. A man that, if you read the Psalms, most of them were written by him. A man that did incredible exploits. When you think of the guy that loved God, it's David. Of all the people, David is the guy. So David in Psalms 51 writes, An incredible psalm. It's not a psalm of praise or rejoicing. It's a psalm quite opposite. And if you have your Bible, you can either turn there or you can look on the screen. But I want to begin in verse number one. The Bible says this, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. "'Against you and you only have I sinned "'and done this evil in your sight, "'that you may be found just when you speak "'and blameless when you judge. "'Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, "'and in sin my mother conceived me. "'Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, "'and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. "'Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. "'Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. "'Make me to hear joy and gladness, "'that the bones you have broken may rejoice.'" Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Here's a man that is asking God, restore. Restore means to give back. It doesn't mean new. It means restored. And so this morning, if you feel dull, the promise here is that God can restore those things that once were dull and give you that edge back, give you that life back. And so let's pray and seek him now in this moment. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you'd use your word to speak to our hearts. May we be sharp. May we be people that seek your word and find its truth. And may they add life to our life. May they change us this morning. Father, we need your help. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. How to deal with spiritual dullness. David was a great man, but this great man in 2 Samuel chapter number 11 decided to do a great sin. He was supposed to be going to war. He was supposed to be leading his army. And instead, he stays home. Instead, he goes on his roof. And instead, he begins to lust after a woman. Instead, he commits adultery. And instead of being where he should be, he ends up murdering that woman's husband. And then he begins to cover it up. And he begins to think, I got away with it. And he thought for a time he had gotten away with it. And then in chapter number 12, the wise prophet Nathan comes to him and tells him a parable of sorts. And in that parable, David sees himself. You see, because that old prophet, that wise prophet, held up a mirror to David's sin. And David had to look at himself and look at his actions. And in that mirror, he saw himself and he was disgusted by what he had done. And in that moment, he was convicted over his sin and he repents over it. And Psalms 51 is a psalm he wrote after the fact. Because David, even though he had gotten it right with God, even though he tried to fix it, there was something in his life that was still dull. His axe blade was still dull. There were things that David stopped doing. You say, What were some of those things that he stopped doing? After that sin, there's no more Psalms recorded after Psalms 51 that David wrote. That's it. There's no more leadership by David, he stops leading. And you see it because his own children commit the same sins that he committed. They followed in suit. All because in this moment he wouldn't deal with the dullness in his life. You and I need to look at dullness, but here's the first thing. I want to start with something encouraging. Don't be discouraged by dullness. If you are dull in this place and you say, man, I I, I feel that rut. I feel that depletedness. I feel that emptiness. I just, oh, I'm so frustrated and bothered and I didn't think I'd ever be here. I don't think I'd ever face depression. I don't think I'd ever face discouragement. First of all, don't be discouraged by dullness. You say, why? Because nothing is in a perpetual state of being. Don't you just wish we could just go to the gym once and never have to go back and just maintain the perfect body? Wouldn't that be nice? Come on, we'd love it. Gyms would close so fast because they'd be one day a year. It's like, hey, January 1st, I go to the gym, I'll see you next year. And it's like, awesome. And then what if you just kept that abs? It didn't matter what you ate. It didn't matter if you didn't exercise. But the truth is nothing is in a perpetual state of being nothing is in a perpetual state of being in your marriage? Don't you just wish that, man, the day you said, I do, you always felt like that? No matter what the time of day, no matter what was happening in life, that you always felt that passionate, that love, that, 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 that desire to be with that person, talk to that person, know that person? But that's not reality, is it? Don't you just wish that you could always just live in a perpetual state of spiritual renewal and revival and vitality? Or you're just on that mountaintop but the reality is there's is no such thing as a perpetual state of being. And you say, how is that supposed to encourage me? It means this. If you are dull, you can get sharp again. But if you are sharp, you are in danger of getting dull. So in this room, you may say, I'm not dull. I'm not discouraged. I'm doing great, Pastor. Excellent, praise God, that's exciting. But understand, you are in danger of becoming dull. And so we, first of all, have to step back and say, God, all right, nothing's in a perpetual state of being, but I want all the help I can get. I want to stay hungry for God. I want to stay thirsty for God. Because that's Psalms 42. As the deer desires the water from the water brook, so my soul desires you, O God. That's what he wrote Man, he wanted God, and that's what we want. That's why we come to church, because we're like, hey, I want to I have this desire for God. I want to have desire to see San Jose change, to see great things happen. So don't be discouraged by the dullness. Don't be discouraged, because it happens to every person in every area. But you say, Pastor, I get it. I know how to sharpen an axe. When the axe is dull, I take it to the grinder, and you grind away. Sparks fly. It's kind of cool. I know how to sharpen an axe. When my pencil's dull, my number two pencil, I go to the pencil sharpener. I'll stick it in the pencil sharpener, and it does a little thing and it sharpens it. I know how to do that. I am a person, not a pencil. How do I get sharp? I'm glad you ask. And that's point number two. We have to diagnose dullness. Austin, do me a help. Uh, do me a favor. There's a little bag right there. Can you hand me that bag, please? Yes, perfect. Thank you, sir. Diagnosing dullness. I'm the type that if I don't know how to discover a problem, I go through a process of elimination. Uh, sometimes I'll come home and uh, I'll walk in the door and I'll say hello to everybody. You know, like the old 1950s sitcoms. Like, honey, I'm home. And uh, I could see sometimes Jane in the kitchen just because the house we're renting kind of has a straight shot. And if she doesn't say, hey, how are you? And her voice inflection doesn't go up. If she doesn't even go down, And if she doesn't say anything, but if she just keeps working, I know something's wrong. And immediately my brain starts going through a process of elimination. Did I do something wrong? Did I forget something? I'll ask her and I'll say, Hey, how are you? And if she says, fine, I'm like, excellent. I'm going to go watch TV. (laughs) <laughs> that's the last time I ever get to watch TV. If I do that, oh man, I better live with the TV, marry the TV, and go have, 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 have a family with that TV. That's it, because I did something wrong. So immediately she's like, that's the wrong thing to say. And I start having to go through a process of elimination. And eventually I just, I just say sorry to whatever it is. You know, I'm just like, I did something wrong. I don't know what it is, but can you help me? Can you give me a hint? And I don't know why uh, sometimes ladies like scavenger hunts and they want us to figure it out. And I think I know why they want us to figure it out because they don't want us to repeat the mistake. I think, I don't know. I'm not the expert. Maybe you are. But I go through a process of elimination. Here, if you're diagnosing dullness, go through a process of elimination. First of all, number one, you could be dull because of misuse. You could be dull because of misuse. 2 Samuel chapter number 11, verse number 1. The Bible says this, in the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab. When kings go to war, Joab is not the king. Joab is the captain of the king's army. Misuse. God has a calling on your life, not just a career. You have a purpose in this world. And when you use yourself outside of your purpose, that's what cause dullness. I've got some tools here. They're not really tools. This is something Eugene got me into. He may have gotten you into it too. But these are, these are amazing, if I can get it open. All right, don't get nervous. Some very expensive knives that Eugene graciously, generously got for me. And this is like my favorite knife right here. I love this knife. This is like a go-to. This is a handcrafted, I think it's uh, from Japan, and there's an artisan that crafted it. It's weighted just right. It's just like my all-go-to all knife. This one is awesome. I love this knife. I love uh, chopping with it. I thought my little, uh, you know, uh, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond Henkel's knives were good, you know, and now I just want to throw those things away. That's all I want to do because when you cut with like something that somebody like smelted and made and handcrafted in a real fire, it's just there's something primal about it. You just want to go back to it. Now, I love my in-laws. My in-laws are great and they are amazing cooks. And my father-in-law can make adobo like nobody else can make adobo. The only problem is my father-in-law makes adobo different than how Jane makes adobo. Jane takes the chicken, gets the seasoning, she cooks it, she marinates it, she seasons it, she does all that, and it's good. But my father-in-law, when he makes adobo, he takes all the chicken, puts it on a chopping board, and then takes this knife, this very expensive, very sharp knife, and starts treating it like it's a meat cleaver and just chopping at the bones, because he wants the bone marrow to season the adobo, which is delicious, don't get me wrong, but you don't use this knife to chop at chicken bones, so I came into the kitchen one day, my father in there, I was like, this is great, I smell adobo cooking, this is gonna be a good meal, I can't wait, and then my heart sunk when I saw what knife he was using, and it was like, ah, with every chop, a little part of me just winced. And then Eugene came over after he bought me the knife and he was like, hey, let me see the knife. And I was like, "Mm mm," Mm." and he's like, let me see the knife. And there were chunks missing out of the knife. And I was like, I didn't do it. My father-in-law did it because he was chopping chicken bones. It was misused. You are not to be misused. What do I mean? David sinned. You were not designed for sin. Our bodies cannot handle sin. That's why we die. That's why we have disease. That's why we have sickness. That's why we have lack. Because we are using ourselves in a way that God did not create for us to be used. We are being misused. We misuse our life because it is not the tool for its proper purpose. If I were to take the axe that I was chopping wood in and go into the kitchen and start chopping onions, that would be a misuse of that tool. But how many Christians do you know that do not understand the calling God has placed on their life and they are misusing their life and giving themselves over to sin? We are not the master to sin. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. God says, you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body, which is his. But how many people do you know they're dull because of misuse, just like this knife. Misuse will dull this blade. Your life has dullness and it could be because of misuse. And you've got to step back and say, let me go through a process of elimination. Have I been using my mind? Have I been using my eyes? Have I been using my mouth? Have I been using my ears or my hands or my feet to go where I shouldn't be, to look at what I shouldn't look, to hear what I shouldn't hear, to think what I should not think and to talk about what I should not be talking about? Have my appetites been given over to things that they should not be giving themselves over to? We used to sing a little song in Sunday school when I grew up and it said this... Oh, be careful little eyes what you see because your father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful little ears what you hear because your father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful little ears what you hear. And we've lost sight of that. Today we think, I'm grown. I can handle it. I can look at what I want to look at, do what I want to do, say what I want to say, hear what I want to hear and I can think what I want to think. It's a misuse Of the tool that God created you. You are created to glorify God. That's why we're created. But when we step outside of that purpose, we dull that sharp edge of our life. And this morning through a process of elimination, your dullness could be because of misuse. Secondly, your dullness could be because of an excuse. The Bible says in the time that kings went to war, David, he said, I'm not going to go. Verse number two, it says, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. He went from misuse to an excuse. I don't need to go to war. I'll go do something else. You know, I have two knives. The second knife right here, this one's sharp. It's razor sharp. This one's beautiful. This one even has a nice signature on it. I love the handle, love the weight. And I hide it from my father-in-law. I love my father-in-law, but don't tell him where this knife is. He doesn't even know I own this knife. But this knife is razor sharp. Eugene would show you how to properly sharpen a knife and he would show you once he's done, he would hold up a piece of paper loosely. And if he's sharpened the knife properly, he would cut a piece of paper, a loose piece of paper, not cardstock, not cardboard, loose paper without any effort. Just cut through it. Then he knows that knife is sharp. This knife, has been sharpened by him. It can cut through paper. I would demonstrate, but I don't, can't hold the knife and this and talk at the same time. But this knife is sharp for a different reason. This knife that I have is dull. This one's dull. But this one is sharp because I never use it. It just sits there. You may not be battling dullness this morning, but that does not mean you're special. You might be a person that you use an excuse why you don't need to serve, why you don't need a help out, why you don't need to be a part of anything. And so the only reason you're still sharp is because of an excuse. That's it. There's no other reason. This knife is sharp simply by the fact that it never gets used. And your life could be sharp. You say, I'm not dull, pastor. It could be because not because of sin, but because of sitting. While everybody else is out there like, man, I'm wearing myself out trying to get everything done, going here, doing this, and yet you and I are like, oh, look at me, I'm so beautiful, I'm so perfect, I'm so good. No, you are doing nothing with that life that God gave you. You make excuses instead of saying, God, I want to be used. And God is saying, hey, you are a sharp instrument, you are a mighty weapon in the hands of God, but yet you're like, no, I don't want God to use me, I want to stay pretty and I want to stay sharp. I don't want any cutting any chicken bones. I don't want to have any nicks, no scratches. I just want to be nice and pretty and sharp and people come watch me. That's an excuse. Some of us are dull and it's because of misuse. Some of us are dull because of an excuse. And thirdly, some of us are dull because of use. This knife, on the other hand, I've sharpened it several times. Actually, correction, Eugene sharpened it several times and then it gets dull. Some of you in this room, the reason you are dull is because you are busy doing stuff. That's why you're dull. And this church is an amazing church where most of the people serve, most people are involved, most of the people are giving, most people are involved in doing something that changes somebody else's life. And so guess what? You are in greater danger of getting dull because of your use. Anything that gets used gets dull. And so if you are battling dullness, it's because guess what? You're serving God this morning and God is using you. And your life may be dull, but it's not because of sin, and it's not because of sitting, it's because you're serving. And that's what God wants to see. Because here's the thing, you can always sharpen it. You can always sharpen this knife. So if you feel like, man, my life is dull, my life doesn't have the power that it has, I want to see that spiritual maturity come up. And that's what spiritual mature people, they serve. I want to share a scripture that I didn't share in the first service. Hebrews 5, verses number 11 says, Of whom we have much to say... And hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you. Again, the first principles, the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I want to show a picture of a cartoon baby. I think I've got it in there. Anybody know this character? Anybody know his name? Baby Herman. Baby Herman. Yeah, that's his name. Used to be an old cartoon character. The the funny thing that actually isn't all that funny is it's a man trapped in a baby's body. Can I tell you how many Christians are just like this? We are grown, trapped in a baby's body, and we want milk and not meat because we are sitting there saying, look at me, I'm sharp. No, if we're not serving, we're not using anything. We're not growing. God wants you to be growing. God wants you to be doing something, maturing, developing. You don't want to be stuck as a man, baby. You want to be saying, God, I want to grow. God, I want to be developing. I want to be used by you. God, what does that take? What what in my life am I not developing? What am I not growing in? Because I want to guard against dullness in my life. And God wants you to grow. You see, God will renew your passion. He'll renew your prayer life. He'll renew your heart to serve. He'll renew your love for your spouse. He will renew your love for your church family. So let God do the work. Let God start to take that, that edge and start grinding a little bit and that's the hard part isn't it (laughs) these knives you don't go to a machine grinder and grind down the edges no these knives what you do is you get a wet stone and you slowly and methodically and rhythmically you just brush and smooth and it takes more time more delicate to get that edge and right now you feel like god why is it taking so long Why is it not just happening right away, God? Why don't I just have that edge back? Why am I not just taking names and meeting goals and crushing things, God? And God's saying, I know, but I got to take care of this edge. God, why won't you give me that job? God's like, I got to take care of this edge. God, why won't you just fix my marriage? And God's like, I just, I got to take care of that edge. God, why is it happening again and again and again? Why am I on repeat, God? And God is saying, no, no, I'm just taking care of this edge. Just wait on me. I'm doing a work. And yet you and I, when we're on the grinding stone of life, we're like, God, can you stop? And God's like, no, no, no. The waiting is worth it. Trust me. I know you're on the grindstone. But guess what? When you are done, you are going to be a sharp instrument that I'm going to use for your good and my glory. And you're going to do great things. Here's the thing about something sharp. It's fun to cut with something sharp, is it not? Let me say it again. It's fun to cut something when it's sharp. When you're chopping tomatoes, you're chopping vegetables, you got a sharp knife, it's easy. Man, my dad would get that ax. He would sharpen it, and then the ax was sharp again. You know what my brothers wanted to do? We wanted to find something to chop. You know, when God gives you your edge back, you know what you want to do? Yo, Satan, come at me now. I'm sharp and I'm ready to go. Come on, devil, let's go. Let's fight. Come on, bad habit. Come on, sin. I'm coming after you because guess what? I got my cutting edge back. I'm ready for you. So bring on the challenge. But when we're dull, we're like, no, 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 Satan, don't don't come at me now. But when you're sharp, you're looking for something to test it out on. You're like, all right, let's bring it on. And God wants to help you get to the point where you are sharp so that he can use you in a powerful way i only got five minutes left. Let me wrap this up. If you've got a Bible, Ecclesiastes 10.10. If the ax is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. How many of you are tired of all the extra strength that's taking you to do simple tasks? How many of you are just like, God, I know there's gotta be an easier way. <laughs> What's the old adage? Work smarter, not You know, there's some biblical truth to that. The wisest man who ever lived, he wrote that verse. Many of you are tired of all the effort that is required, and you're getting a small reward. But a wise person will get that edge back. A person will say, God, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to get to the altar. God, I'm going to get to my prayer closet. And God, I'm getting my edge back because I can't handle my marriage without a sharp edge. I can't handle parenting these kids without a sharp edge. I got to get rid of the dullness. I can't stand these spiritual battles unless I get my edge back, God. I need the power back. I need that edge back, God. You got to do a work in my life. And notice what the verse says, but wisdom brings success. We want that success, don't we? And God's saying, hey, you can have it. Let's go back to Psalms 51, verse number 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. If you were to get a sailboat and start in London and leave from London and you were gonna cross the Atlantic headed to America, you would hit the part in the equator, kind of the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and something would happen in your sailboat. You'd be sailing and the moment you hit the equator, you'll know when you hit the equator. You say, why? Because something's gonna happen to the wind. All over the ocean, wind is blowing, waves are crashing. I mean, the wind is just there. But then as you get next to the equator, the two winds meet, they converge, and they push each other upward, and something happens to the ocean. It gets as smooth as glass. It's called the doldrums. And unless you brought enough fuel and you have a big enough boat, you're stuck in the doldrums. It used to be as people were crossing the Atlantic, if they got caught in the doldrums and they would just wait there till the wind picked up to move these powerful ships. And then if it would take too long, now you're running out of food, water, and rations because you're stuck in the doldrums. And you're waiting on the wind. And you say, man, I'm just stuck in the doldrums. It's just waiting. You don't have to be. God's like, I can, I can, I can power you right through this thing. But it's going to take us going to Psalms 51 and notice if you would, verse number one, what it says. David lays it out for us. He says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. First of all, number one, he returned to God. Maybe that's where you need to start. You say, I gotta get back to God. You're here in church and praise God for it. You're back saying, hey God, I wanna get back to you. Return to him. Secondly, it's not just return to God. Third, second, it's repenting. Repenting is sight. That's what repenting is. It's seeing. You know, the person that's never sorry is because they never see that they're wrong. They're blind. They don't see it. Maybe you've been in a relationship with somebody like that. They never see that they ever do anything wrong. Or maybe your supervisor's that way. Or maybe you have a coworker that way. They, they don't see that they're rude. They don't see that they're uh, moody. They don't see that they treat you poorly. They're blind. But a person that repents, they see and they can repent. And David says, I'm going to repent. But then, verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. He makes no excuses. He's reconnecting. He wants the connection back. And then, verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. And God restores the joy of his salvation. I love this. You would think that God would look at David and say, after what you did, (laughs) who are you? Want the joy of your salvation back? Are you kidding me? After everything you did, David? But is that what God does? No. God gives him his joy back. Gives it back to him. Which reminds me, That Jesus is more interested in your future than your failure. He cares more about your future. And you will see a recovered joy. Not just recovered joy. Verse number 13. Then I will teach transgressors your way. That's a recovered passion. That was David's passion was to teach others. Some of you, that's your passion. You want to show others the truth that you're receiving. You're a teacher at heart. You want to show others what's right. And you want to show them how to keep it right and how to stay right. And that's you. And David, he had lost sight of that he was murdering others and then trying to use others to cover up his sins. But then now he's saying, hey, God, if you restore my joy, guess what? I'm going to teach transgressors your ways, not my ways. And that's what bad people do. Have you noticed that? Bad people teach others their bad ways. And he's saying, I'm not going to teach them my ways. I'm going to teach them your ways. That's his recovered passion. And thirdly and finally, Verse 14, deliver me from blood and from guilt of bloodshed, O God. The God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. This is a reclaimed purpose. David realized that he was made to praise. Psalms 50, the very last verse of the book of Psalms says this. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's time to get your edge back. It's time to get your praise back. It's time to get your life back, your ministry back, your kids back, your spouse back, your love for God back. What you've lost can be found. I've traveled a little bit in my life, I've been blessed. I've gone to Israel, I've gone to Jordan, I've gone to a few countries in Europe, and I've traveled a bit in the United States. I've gone to the south, I've gone to the east, and I've gone to the Midwest, and I've gone to places all over San Jose and the Bay Area. And everywhere I go, I'm always looking at certain sites. One in particular is churches. I'm a pastor, and so I like churches. And I'll go to different parts of the country, and I'll see church buildings for sale, and I'm like, oh man, if I could just pick up that entire building and just buy it and then plop it down on our land, that would be awesome. And I've seen a lot of buildings closed. Sadly, church buildings. But then when I was touring Israel, there are churches everywhere in that country. Churches everywhere. And they are beautiful. Man, you walk into these churches and you're just like, wow. I just feel like I'm sensing a sacred presence there. The architecture is fabulous. The artwork that's hundreds of years old. And then you're seeing the stained glass windows. And then they're telling you that this is from the first crusade, second crusade, third crusade. And you're like, man, how old are these buildings? Then they take you to the outside of the buildings and they say, that hole was made from an arrow. That hole was made from a trebuchet. That hole is made from a bullet. That hole is made from a cannonball. That hole is made from this. And you're like, there's history in the scars on this building. How old is this building? The only problem is you walk into these old churches. You have to do something at every one when you go in. There's a person who stops you and then asks you to pay the fee to go in the church because it's actually not a church anymore. It's a museum and there's a docent instead of a pastor. And the docent will give you a tour of what used to take place in that building because the church people had... Settled in, and they were fine with being dull. The pastor had given up trying to be sharp. He let the dullness set into his heart, and he was okay with it. But where there are people that say, God, I want my joy back, God. I want my life back. I'm not going to settle with just being dull. I get it. I may have been misused. I may have made an excuse, but guess what, God? I want to be used, and when I'm dull, God, I'll come back to you. I'll return, and I'll reconnect, God, and I'll let you sharpen me. And God, however long it takes, you just sharpen me on that anvil. God, it may take a long time, but I want to be a sharp instrument that you can use for your will and for your work that you've called me to in Jesus' name. We declare that we will say, God, Lord, I I want to be sharp in your hands. Can we stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? You do not have to be defeated by the dullness. But with heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're standing here and you're saying, I don't think I'm spiritually dull. You're right, you may not be spiritually dull. You say, Is there anything worse than spiritually being dull? There is. It's called being spiritually dead. That is the biggest tragedy of all. And my prayer is that you would never encounter being spiritually dull. But worse would be to be spiritually dead. My prayer is that you would say, God, I don't want to get to that point. But the good news is, our God is a resurrecting God. If you are spiritually dead, He raises dead things to life. If we will come to Him and say, God, just raise this dead, cold heart. God, give me that sharp edge back so that I could be a weapon in your mighty arsenal to pull down strongholds, to go reclaim ground that I may have given up, that I may stand for you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you say, Pastor, pray for me in this place that I would deal with the dullness in my life, would you slip up your hand? Can I pray for you in this place? Is there anybody like that? God bless you, I see that hand. God bless you, I see that hand. Oh, amen, thank you for your honesty. God bless you, God bless you. Hands up all over. In just a moment, we're gonna open up this altar. But you don't have to wait for no altar. You can make an altar of your seat right there. And you can say, God, give me that sharp edge back, God. Give me that edge where I can go and be that weapon that you want, God, for your your glory, God. That's what I was designed for. I was made to praise you, God. And when I'm dull, I don't feel like praising. So right now, as this worship team leads us in a time of worship and seeking God. Would you take this time and you can slip out of your seat and you can come out here to this altar or I will meet you down here. I will pray with you. But right now, as this worship team begins to lead us in worship, you slip out and you take time and seek God. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again and we'll catch you on the next one.